Welcome back to the 30th episode of the Cowboy Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Sharp, accompanied by nobody today because Mr. Waldron could not make it, unfortunately. But today we are talking with a community member of I have known for literally my entire life and probably then some, and that is Jamie Roscoe. So, Jamie, do you want to go and introduce yourself? Hey, thanks for having me on, Justin. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. But uh, so I want to talk about three main things today, and that is military uh, and the dinner tree, which is a pretty high class, fancy, not expensive, but just nice restaurant out here. Uh, And then I want to talk about EMS and uh, the Silver Lake Fire Department. That's correct. That's the one you're in. That's correct. Okay. So I want to talk about those three main things. But before we do that, uh, where did you grow up? So I grew up in Tumalo in between kind of Bend and Redmond and uh, sisters you know so we we went to school in redmond but had a, a bend address and phone number which back in those days you know it was long distance so if i had a girlfriend in redmond you didn't get to talk very often <laughs> up the folks's phone bill yeah and then did, when did you did you move out here when you were you know just out of high school or how'd you get out here no i ended up out here for the first time in 97 uh taking a you know i guess a summer in between you know, college, and uh, I went to work for Sam Dinsdale for that summer, and then I kind of think it was that summer that I brought your dad out here, as a matter of fact. Yeah, did you guys go to college together? Is that right? We we did. Okay, that's what yeah. I thought. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and then did you go in the military <clears throat> directly after college, or how did that work? Because it, it wasn't like right out of high school, obviously, was it? No, it wasn't, so I've kind of always done everything a little backwards or slower than most in life, <laughs> and uh, so... I I quit Buckaroon for for a while in 2003 and uh, moved back to Central Oregon. You know, I could make more money in heavy equipment, you know, running it yeah. in a week than I could make in a month Buckaroon for a living. Oh, for sure. And, uh, and you got weekends off too, you know. And there, there happened to be girls around there. You know, when I lived in Harney County, I think the next nearest single girl to me was like 50 miles. <laughs> so, so yeah, there's things that I was interested in. And, you know, it was a couple of years after 9-11, we were getting ready to invade Iraq and all that. And so, you know, I, a lot of my family has served. And so I kind of something I always wanted to do, but I didn't want to do it full time, you know, in the Marine Corps, the active army. And so I enlisted in the Oregon Army National Guard in, in 2003. And uh, it was nothing that I, I had. I didn't want to make it a, a career at the time, just something kind of to do for fun and, and kind of give back, you know, a little bit. And and now here I am almost 18 years later. Yeah. So what did still, that path look serving. like? Did you, you know, what, what did you do immediately, I guess? So, yeah. So I, I enlisted, you know, in the National Guard, went off to basic training, AIT, uh, came back. I had the world's worst recruiter. And, uh, you know, he didn't explain things well to me, used their jargon, which I was unfamiliar with. And and really, he just kind of pulled a fastener on me. He, he saw, you know, I already had a college degree, a two-year degree, I should say, and, uh, and so he saw me coming from a mile away and I went through the process. He put me in a unit in Portland and I was driving up there and I had a friend that was in a unit in Redmond and he was like, why are you driving to, to Portland, man? You could be right here with us. And so I, I transferred units, drilled in Redmond and within a year, my platoon sergeant and first sergeant for the company were like, Hey man, you're a natural leader. You should become an officer. And I was, you know, they might have used a little more explicit language that I won't use <laughs> on, on your show here. Um, you know, really, they just told me that I was going to do that. I didn't really have a say-so in it. And uh, 
so they sent me to OCS, which is officer candidate school. And I completed that. And, and part of that is I had to finish my, my bachelor's degree. So I went back to college at Oregon state university on the GI bill. So I made like 18 bucks an hour to sit in class. That was, that was pretty cool. Nice. Almost those kids were paying to be there and I, I was getting paid. So yeah, I commissioned as a second Lieutenant in 2006 and as an armor officer. So I, I took over as a platoon leader in Ontario at a tank company. I was there for two years doing that job. And then I became the company executive officer there for another two years. And then I transferred to Hermiston where I took command of that tank company there in uh, April of 2010. And then we went to Iraq in, well, we mobilized in September of 2010 and I got into country in Iraq just before Thanksgiving of that year. I came home a year later in 2011, and I stayed in command of that company through the fielding of the, the M1A2 uh, SEP V2, which is, at the time, it was the newest, latest, greatest Abrams on the market. You know, we're up to the, to the M1A2 SEP V4 now, and we also have the SEP V3 Charlies, uh, which are the newest, you know, newest ones on the market. Um, but at the time, it was, it was a very historic fielding. It was the first time that the National Guard had done a, a large combat platform fielding before the entire active component had fielded it. So we had, I mean, everybody from the president on down, you know, watching how that fielding was going because it's, you, you know, the modernization of the army and, and that, that level of equipment has, you know, a lot of eyes on it to make sure it's going, going properly. So I was in command for almost four years, which a typical command tour is two. And so I, I was in that job for a long time, then went to staff at battalion, and I've been working on different different staffs. I've done pretty much every job, including operations and battalion executive officer, until October this year, which I took over as the installation commander at BIAC, which is a training facility outside of Redmond. Okay. So one yeah. thing I want to ask you that uh, I know a little bit about, but I think a lot of people don't know, is what's the difference between, say, the National Guard and just the Army? Because there's a pretty big difference, isn't there? Uh, somewhat. So... I'll try to give you the down and dirty because I know you like to stay at like a half an hour show and we could make this into like a week long show. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do have to give the caveat here of um, I'm purely speaking on, on my own experiences and my own opinions. I'm not representing the Oregon national guard, the United States army or the DOD um, in, in this conversation with these opinions that I'm expressing. So uh, we have the, the active component and the reserve component of every branch. You know, there's a Marine reserve, there's an Air Force Reserve, uh, there's an Air National Guard, you know, there, there's uh, the Navy Reserves, there's the Army National Guard, and I think I already said the Air National Guard, and then the Army Reserves. And, and so all three of those components, whether it's the active component, the reserve, the, as far as the, the Army Reserves, and then the National Guard, make up our total fighting force. So we get all the same training, we have all of the same school requirements, you know, as far as education and, and all the same standards apply across the board. So the active, active duty, you know, they, they live on, you know, whatever post they're assigned to, they're paid 365 and they go wherever uncle army tells them to go. You know, every three years, you're going to be doing a, a, a duty station move. You know, you could be at, at Fort Bragg and then your next assignment is in South Korea and after that, it's in Germany, and then it's in Alaska. You know, it, it's, it could be wherever Uncle Army tells you that you're going. In the National Guard, 
especially on the enlisted side, you get to choose your duty station. You know, whatever army is closest to you or whichever one you want to be at, for the most part, that's where you'll be. And you can spend your entire 20-year or 30-year career in the same armory if you choose, and as long as you meet all the standards. And uh, so it, it's a lot different concept as far as when we're not federalized. You know, we're just a, an asset of the state, whether it's to go on wildfires, to go on floods, to do any kind of humanitarian work, rescue work, whatever it may be. And, you know, we have an element that helps with the DEA doing counter drug stuff. we got all sorts of crazy stuff going on. And, and we still have our full-time or our, our full training requirement. You, we have to do all the same training metrics that an active component does, except for that, that we only have one week in the month and two weeks a year to do that. So it's, it's pretty wild. You know, for me in the armor world, when we go to a drill, you don't, you don't really sleep. You know, you get there, you know, Friday afternoon and you just go straight through till Sunday night. And when we go to the field with our tanks, you know, you're going to probably pull two to four hours of sleep every like third or fourth day. Um, and there's some good things. When we go to war, we're already kind of trained up and ready for that, where the active component isn't, isn't ready for that. You know, an active component armor unit, they have about 90 days to shoot a, a gunnery where we do it in 14. Wow. So we're, we're already used to operating at those high up tempos that they have to train themselves for. And so we, we really bring a, a lot to the table with, with balancing you know, our, our home life, your your civilian career, and your military career. I, to be honest, I, I think it's, in a lot of cases, a lot tougher to be a National Guardsman than it is to be active duty. Because like I said, you know, the Army just tells you where to go. They tell you what time to get up. They tell you where, you know, where to eat at, what time to go to bed. And, and we don't have that in the National Guard. You, you have to be a self-starter, and, and you got to have some ownership over what's going on. And so that it, it definitely helps us in a lot of respects. Okay. So what do you, what kind of things are you doing in your new position then? So I have a really cool position as the installation commander. You know, I really just overseeing the, the entire installation. So we have a full-time staff out there of great people that have been doing it forever. And they've really got it dialed in. You know, I just do my one week in a month um, out there. And then we have, we have a traditional crew like me of enlisted soldiers. I'm the only officer that's out there. And we have some senior NCOs, and they're they're all dialed in. I mean, they, they have the program, you know, in good shape. And so when a unit comes to train, you know, we have an in-brief process. Hey, welcome to our installation. You know, we go through our checklist. We issue them out, whatever they may need, if they're going to do paintball or if they're going to do a ropes course, you know, if they're going to do any of the challenging courses that we have. If they're bringing vehicles and they want to do mounted maneuver, if they're going to do force on force or if they're going to do dismounted operations, if they want to you know, do tower kind of stuff, you know, repelling. And so we just really tailor what we're doing to what they're doing. You know, obviously we're going through the, the safety protocols to make sure that, that nobody's getting hurt. And we're just, we're not overseeing their training. That's their business, but we're making sure that they do it within our guidelines so that they don't damage, you know, the, the environment. And so that, you know, they don't damage any of their equipment or hurt any personnel. Okay. Is our, our focus in essence. Okay. So that so this is actually kind of a good segue into talking about the dinner tree. So would you say that's probably your full time job? I guess is running and managing the cowboy dinner tree. Yeah, and you know for the most part, you know Angel takes care of most of the day to day operations um, because I'm historically have been gone so much for the guard. Yeah. Um, and with with us having all the kids, you know, I've kind of been Mister Mom as far as you know. I spend all day prepping and getting stuff going and ready, and then when when we open the doors, she takes over and runs the crew 
you know, for the evening. So it works out good. I like to get up early, you know, so I go up there at like zero six every morning, you know, get my stuff done in my own time timeline without, you know, a lot of other headaches going on. And then in the evenings, you know, the kids and I get to sit back, maybe we'll run the gift shop. Maybe we'll go up there and rope on the rope and dummy or, you know, help angel, you know, or in, in the crew. So yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun for me there because I do have a little more flexibility. Okay. So, so the dinner tree is actually one of the, it's actually a pretty famous restaurant. I think, was it, I don't remember, was it the Oregon trail mag? I don't remember what it was called. You guys were like one of the top 10 restaurants in the state, wasn't it? Yeah. We've seen a lot of those, uh, kind of pulls that, you know, were usually in the, in the top three for the state, Yeah, you know, at least in the top 10. Yeah. So yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, we bring about 20,000 people a year to Northern Lake County, you know, about 5% of our business is Lake County residents. The other 95, you know, are from outside Lake County with about 40% of that business coming from the central Oregon area to include the destination resorts. And then about 40% of our business is really coming from the I-5 corridor from Seattle to San Francisco. You know, we have an airstrip across from us. We normally get between 40 and 80 planes a year that fly in and typically four to six helicopters a year that come in. And then the the other, you know, 15%-ish of our business is international. So yeah, we, we have a, a really big following in, in the affluent parts of Asia. Western Europe's really big for us. Both Australia and New Zealand are. Yeah, so what's the farthest, uh, I guess you could say, customer, Where's what's the farthest distance you've heard traveled? Um, well, you know, like I said, we we get a lot of people every year from, from Japan. You know, Hong Kong is really good to us. Shanghai is. Uh, so as far as distance, that's gotta be right there in that seven, 8,000 mile range. I, I would guess. Yeah. That, that's pretty crazy to think. Cause I mean, that's, that's the only reason I can think of anybody would come out here from that far away. Wouldn't you say, I mean, you're maybe people coming to look at like export hay, but other than that, there's not really a whole lot out here for people that far to come look at. Yeah. Well, I think there's a ton for people to look at. They just don't know about it. And that's one of the okay, things yeah, that, yeah. that we're trying to do with our restaurant is, is share the love across the county. You know, I mean, it's, it's an amazing county. You know, I read once that Lake County has 1500 of the 3000 known pictographs in the state of Oregon. You know, our geology is just amazing. You know, the topography is as cool as can be. So, you know, that's, that's one of the things we're trying to do is promote the rest of the county, the other businesses, you know, we want people to, to stay, whether it's at an Airbnb or at the hotel or at at a hotel in Christmas Valley, you know, to eat, breakfast at the other restaurants you know we really want to share that experience all the way around yeah and do you think the attraction to your restaurants probably the culture around it just because it's kind of like you know western style uh literally middle of nowhere just this awesome restaurant do you think that's what attracts people so you know i think at first what really got it going was maybe it was somewhat of a novelty you know and then as people have come and come back you know the dinner tree has been in operation for 28 years it's never done any paid advertising it's all been word of mouth you know magazine and newspaper articles which is very impressive in itself yeah it it is and now internet articles and i really think it's a couple things you know first of all you're going to get as much out of this experience as you put into it we have people that sit there all night and don't say anything but they love the love the food you know we have people that are laughing and joking the whole time you know just just having a, a ball And, and so, you know, when you think about the whole process, Hey, we got to call like six months out, you know, to get our day and our time that we want to eat. And so you got to get your whole group of friends. Hey, can you come on, on Saturday, May 21st, you know, Oh, we can't do that. Oh, we can do this. Hey, the cousins, they can, you know, make it this weekend. 
So you, you get that first step of planning, you know, getting everybody dialed in, getting a reservation made. And then, then the day comes and you drive all the way out here. And for a lot of those people, I mean, they, they think they're driving to the moon and back. And so then they finally get here and they pull up and they're like, holy cow, what is this? It's like a falling down chicken shed or something. <laughs> and so they, they're not sure what to think. And then they come in, they, they go through the about approximately hour and 15 minute meal. You know, it's a four course meal. And, you know, they're laughing and joking. They're talking to other customers, you know, cutting it up with the waitresses, you know, and almost everybody loves the food and loves oh, yeah. the experience. Well, it's amazing food and there's a lot of it. That's for sure. Yeah. So, you know, and then eventually they drive home and the driver, you know, is the only person that's awake and everybody else is sleeping. That's why we don't, you know, don't serve alcohol. Yeah. Because the vast majority of our clientele is driving two hours or more to get home. And uh, so it's, it's the experience, the amount of food, and then the quality of the food are the three things that we believe continue to bring people back. Yeah. Well, Mr. Walder and I were talking before he had to leave here. I think he said that uh, almost every time he has family from either Idaho or he said he's had friends from Texas come that they make sure to get reservations there. And then personally, uh, every time, you know, we have family from either like Imnaha or John Day or even Sprague River, it's definitely an occasion to come out to the dinner tree. So, yeah, great restaurant. Yeah. Yeah, we think so. And we appreciate everybody coming back because that's how we make our livelihood. Yeah. Yeah. So the last thing I want to talk about here, well, actually second to last thing, there's one more thing at the end, but the the second to last thing I want to talk about is the uh, Silver Lake Fire Department and EMS. So how did you end up on that? Was it related to the military since you probably had training there from it? You know, you'd think so. It really came down to, you know, we're just short on help. So currently across all of rural America, the EMS services for the most part are in trouble and, and for the same reasons. So our demographics and in, in our, in rural America are aging pretty drastically. We're having a lot of drug issues, a lot of obesity issues, a lot of just chronic health problems. So, so that does two things. A, it discludes or, or um, you know, what do you want to, I can't think of the term here, but anyways, disqualifies a lot of people from, from serving, from being EMTs, you know, you know or being firefighters or ambulance drivers. And then also it increases our workload. So we have less people that are volunteering and we have, you know, more, more cases or more calls that we're running. And so the guys here in town just pretty much, you know, told me I was doing it. And when I came on, I was the, the youngest person that we had, you know, by far uh, on the, on the entire crew. So both fire and EMS. And then eventually they recruited me to become a board member. And, and so I, I do both sides of it now. Okay. And uh, one, another big difference, I mean, we talked about the difference between the National Guard and the traditional Army. Uh, the difference between the EMS and EMTs is that EMS is all volunteer, correct? So, yeah, and to help you out. So we have EMTs, you know, it could, it's just, you know, I guess in reality, this is just like volunteering, just like with the National Guard. You know, our personnel have to have all the same credentials as somebody who works in town on a paid staff, but everybody out here at North Lake and Silver Lake are both, you know, both agencies are all volunteers. Okay. And then where does that funding come from them? Is it taxpayers or donations? Yeah. So, oh gosh, in the seventies, the governor said that, that all of Oregon will be covered by ambulance service areas, ASAs. And so they set up all these ASAs all the way across the state. You know, ours is like 1,100 square miles, and North Lakes is, I think, about 1,900. If, if I'm a little wrong, I apologize over there for you guys. But they, they did not come up with a funding source. And so for, for the EMS, 
all of our funding for that comes from doing ambulance runs. When we, you know, do a run hauling somebody into town or taking them to meet up with Airlink. So that, that's the only funding source that we have for our ambulances out here. Now, the town of Silver Lake, we do have, we do have a tax base for our fire service. So our, our fire side is, is funded with a small tax base. Okay. And you would probably say that you do more fire. Well, actually, I don't know. Do you do more fire runs than ambulance runs? Or I guess we do not. Okay. Because so ambulance runs we, are going to be year round. That makes sense. Yeah. And we do, we do a, about one structure fire every other year is probably fairly accurate. And then, you know, we do five to 10 wildland fires a year, but as far as as far as the two agencies concerned, I think we do about 300 to 350 total medical runs a year between the two entities. Oh, wow! With with North Lake doing the vast majority of them, you know, Silver Lake, we're probably in that in that 50 ambulance runs a year, you know, kind of number. Um, where you know we have mutual aid agreements, so we go and help them; they come and help us. You know, it really we're trying to provide overall coverage for the entire north end of the county. You know, if if those guys are already on a run. You know, then we'll go and and take a second call or vice versa. Yeah, how many how many vehicles do you have? So we have two ambulances at Silver Lake, um, and they're both early two thousands. You know, they I think the the newer of the two is about eighteen years old, but yeah, got some age on them. They do, um, but we keep them mechanically very sound. Yeah, well, you probably we have, have to, to first right? of all. Yeah, yeah, we're required to by the state. You know, they have to be certified, and. Uh, and the last thing you want to do is be on a medical run and have one of your vehicles break down. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. And then on the fire side, do you guys have multiple engines? We do. So we've got our number one structure truck. is It's a FEP equipment. So the federal government actually owns it, but we can keep it as long as we want. We have to maintain it and put fuel in it. We can never sell it. You know, we have to give it back to the federal government if we ever decide we don't want it. But it came from Fort Stewart, Georgia. So it's okay. a pretty modern uh, piece of equipment. And... We also take that one on all of our motor vehicle accidents. That's where we have all of our jaws of life, all of our hot saws, you know, all of our extrication gears. And that, that's our number one out truck. And we also use it, you know, to, to shut down the roadways when necessary. You know, one, one of the big thing is these EMTs, they get on the scene and they're really focused on the patients. And so for me as a firefighter and an ambulance driver, I don't bring a lot to the table other than I try to look out for their safety you know, let them focus on the task. And, and I kind of keep a 360 going, trying to keep everybody safe, you know, the overall scene. Okay. And then one last thing I want to ask you on this topic is uh, we had Kevin Lehman, which is a, he was a big player in getting our high desert uh, rural fire protection association put together and coming from a, I wouldn't say it's obviously not a competing department, but just kind of a, another department in the same area. Uh, what do you think of that whole uh, association? Oh, the RFPA is great. You know, first of all, just the concept of it, of neighbors helping neighbors, that's the American way, you know, and second of all, they're pretty darn lucky to have, you know, Kevin, because he's out, you know, extremely knowledgeable in the fire realm overall, not just putting out fires, but, but funding sources, management, all that stuff. And uh, I think it's a huge blessing to, to the county to have that entity there. You know, they've got a ton of equipment. They've got trained up on it really quick, how to use it. They're there, you know, wherever these fires are popping up, we're probably going to have RFPA member pretty stinking close to that. And, and that's as far as suppression goes, that's how you got to get these fires put out, you know, get them when they're small. And uh, so it, it works out really good. You know, we worked with them down there at Paisley. We, I mean, we've been on a ton of fires with those guys and, 
and I'd like to become a member and, and volunteer for them too, you know, and I think that every landowner in the area that's capable should do that. So yeah, it's, it's a good organization and they're, they've got top notch leadership and good equipment. So I think they'll be around for a long time. Yeah, it was actually, and I, I think the thing that I actually find the most amazing about it is how fast it was put together. Cause it's only what, three years old, maybe. Uh, I, I think, I think three years might, might be the limit. Yeah. Maybe right three summers the, the ago. Anifire, yeah. Yeah. So, and, and that again, goes back to having that, that knowledgeable, good leadership, you know? Yeah. All right. Well, the last thing I want to ask you is, I mean, you and I have talked about podcasts a pretty fair amount in the past. So would you ever consider starting your own podcast? You know, a lot of people have said that to me because I have I have an opinion on about everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what I don't have is a lot of free time and and to do the research, you know, to get the guests and, and to do that kind of stuff, I think would definitely be a challenge, nor do I have the technical abilities. I'd have to get somebody like you who's real yeah. good with all this technical stuff. You know, you, which, you'd think it's hard, but honestly, it's not that bad. There's, I mean, here we have two microphones. We have... Uh, this thing called a uh, soundstage, and it plugs the microphones in, and then you plug that into the computer and put a headphone wire in, and that's it. It's really not that bad. Oh, be darned. I, I yeah. didn't know that. I, I just assumed everybody was kind of a technical whiz. You, <laughs> you shouldn't have given away your, your secret. You know, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and a lot of them, even the top-end ones, they have sound issues. You know, one guy is talking really loud, and one guy is really quiet, and so you're always turning your volume up and down. And, and your podcast is usually very steady, which, which shows kind of an advanced level of, of technological yeah. skills. So I was going to give you credit there. So now it's time for my questions of you. You know, you're always interviewing everybody. Now, now I got some for you. You ready? Yeah, go for it. All right. So you're a senior this year, right? Yep. Okay. So what's the plan for the school's podcast after you graduate? I really only see two courses of action there. Either one of your teachers needs to fail you so you're here next year <laughs> or – or you got to train somebody else. You know, that's that's actually a really good question because we're kind of struggling with that. So, uh, the plan, well, the most desirable outcome in this is that you know somebody either uh, lower classman or upper classman, underclassman, I should say, uh, somebody wants to come up and take care of it, and then would, I would almost mentor is kind of a weird word considering that I'm only 17, but uh, uh, in the in the optimal situation, somebody would come up and they'd say, hey, I want to do this, and they'd come, you know, co-host and do whatever with me. And I'd kind of show them the ropes and getting guests and, you know, getting the volume right and doing all that. And then they would take it over next year with Mr. Waldron. But right now it's it's kind of tough. There's not a lot of people who seem to take interest, but we're still trying. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I hope that it continues. I've really enjoyed, you know, almost every week listening to your podcasts as they come out. So it's, it's nice to kind of hear yeah. local topics. And you've had some great guests from all over on, you know, whether they're in Europe or Florida or, you know, whatnot. So that's been been you know, pretty cool. I don't know how many followers you have, but you know, uh, I'm sure you're probably kind of building it. We actually, time. I think we broke, I think we have a little over a thousand downloads. Now it might be 1100, but I think we broke a thousand downloads last Wednesday, maybe. So it's All getting bigger. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it's, it's been I think 11 and a half months maybe since we started, but yeah, it's getting bigger slowly, but surely. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a good resource and you know, your guys' reason for starting it kind of bringing agriculture into the 21st century on this platform, I think is, is a great concept. And I hope that the school, you know, finds a kid or some kids that want to stick with it and take over the legacy after you're gone. Yeah. Well, I think that's my favorite part about it is especially on the ag side is just, I mean, 
it sounds bad, but I think farmers, they have a lot of issues they face and it's kind of hard to do it while you're farming just because it's such a, you know, labor intensive and time intensive uh, occupation. And I think that's probably my favorite part about it is just being able to, you know, communicate and fight the issues without, you know, taking all your time in agriculture directly. So, yeah. No, I, I completely agree. I think you're right on track there. And mentor is the exact word that you should be using. That That's the proper use of it. So, I know you want to go on and be a politician someday. What's your plan to get there? Uh, well, that's another good question. So I applied. This is, once again, this is my, you know, kind of optimal course that I want to take. So I applied for American University in Washington, D.C. Uh, for next fall. I think I should get in just looking, you know, at their average SAT and GPAs. I should, I fit right in there, so I should get into that. And then I I have, uh, well, yeah, obviously, you know, Tom O'Leary. I think his sister staffs for a congressman from Pennsylvania, and I think I'm going to try to get into contact with her and try to get hooked up with a staffing job in the Capitol. So if I go to D.C., I'm going to try that, and then I'll probably, you know, move back eventually or I'll run for office somewhere or even maybe just, you know, keep podcasting and doing communications or something like that, but that's the plan. Yeah, well, it sounds like a good plan, and don't forget, you know, Lake County always needs young, aggressive citizens to, to – you know, do their part here, whether it's as a county commissioner or on the budget commissions, you know, the road commissions, you know, and, and our different boards, whether it's the, the park and rec board or the, the soil and water conservation board, the Silver Lake, or excuse me, Silver Lake Rural Fire Department. So there's, there's a lot of politicking that needs done at home, too. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, well, I've got some political connections, too, at the, the upper level. So if you ever need some help getting into dc let me know all right well I'll make sure to hit you up on that yeah so one thing I, if we have the time i'd like to cover on the military yeah for sure is is anybody who's interested here from northern lake county and in, in joining the military we have really interesting dynamics in 2010 there was just over 8,000 people in lake county and there was just over a thousand veterans here that as far a as a ratio ratio yeah it, it is we've got to be one of the highest counties in the nation um, I talked with, with uh, Charlie Pike, our VSO here for Lake County, and he said he thought maybe we were down to about 750, you know, just from people moving away and, and the old timers, you know, passing on. But with the 2020 census, you know, we'll have better numbers here when it comes out and, and see just where we're at as far as total veteran numbers. But anybody who wants to go in the military, you know, we, we might have our inner service rivalries, but at the end of the day, I'd love to sit down and talk to anybody that maybe they want to go in the Navy or maybe they're thinking about the Air Force or the Marines or the Army or or one of the reserve components, you know, of those. You know, I'll, I'll help anybody I can out, you know, whether I go to town and meet with a recruiter with them, you know, whatever they got going on. Because the military, it, it has a lot of great benefits. You know, like I was saying, I got paid to go to college. I didn't have to pay to be there. You know, there's tax exemptions on your property taxes. You know, I save about three or $400 a year. You know, I've got some hunting exemptions. I save a ton of money there. You know, you can do... 20 years in the military and get a retirement and, and you'll have that for the rest of your life and your medical benefits. And, and as we all know, you kids may not think about it, but as you get older, those medical benefits are worth a lot, a lot of money. Cause as we all know, medical care can be very expensive, you know, and then if you look at a lot of these fortune 500 companies, when you look at either the, their COOs or their, their chief logistics officers, I wouldn't say the majority, but a lot, a lot of the personnel in those positions came from the military. You know, the, the military is very good at logistics. And so these big companies, you know, hire these guys out of the military 
for very large six and seven figure uh, salaries to, to do that logistics organization and operation piece. And so there's nothing wrong with retiring at 38 or 40 years old and then going to work for Walmart, you know, at, at a high level, making a, a ton of money. And then, you know, I serve with a bunch of guys. I can't even name all of them that work for, for outfits like Amazon. I got a couple of buddies that are Amazon distribution hub managers. I mean, they're wow. the top guy there, you know, making a, a well into six figures. I mean, I'm not talking right at the bottom, you know, middle six figures and they're still serving in the guard. You know, a lot, a lot of these corporations are very, very pro-military. The railroad is very pro-military. Those guys, shoot, they do great, you know, because the military makes up their, their pay difference. And so they, they kill it. And so there's, there's a lot of benefits to, to people that want to go and serve. You know, I've been around the world four times. I've seen some pretty crazy stuff and uh, I met just the greatest people. And uh, I've met some of the worst people too, to be honest, <laughs> but, but uh you'll get out of it what you're willing to put into it. And what I like about the military is we, we do not discriminate against color, gender, anything like that. It's purely performance based. You can go as high as you want to, if you're willing to be the smartest cat in the room and put in the work, Yeah. you know, be loyal, do it, be a team player. You can go as high as you want to. Yeah. Well, and, that's, that's and I, I like that. Yeah. Well, that's actually one thing that we kind of skipped over that. I was going to ask you is what do you think the best thing that, well, I guess, what do you think your most valued experience in the military has been now that you're kind of, I mean, you're still in it, but you're looking back, you're not, you know, going overseas or anything like that. What's the best thing that you got out of it? It's really the ability to be at the worst or not the worst place in life, but to, to be where you think it's the worst place in life. It's raining, it's cold, you have an eight, you know, you, you want to quit and you're, you're at the bottom but you survive it and then you realize just how much you truly can do. You know, you you, you don't realize how good it is to be challenged and to, to gain that confidence from surviving that stuff. It, it gives you a real resiliency that, that few other things in life can. Well, yeah, great answer. All right. Well, thank you, Jamie, for coming on the show and talking with me. Uh, it'd be great to have you back on in the future. Uh, maybe when you reopen the dinner tree because you're shut down now, right? We are, yeah. We're we're waiting on uh, what the future holds when restaurants in the great state of Oregon can reopen. Yep. Well, maybe when that happens, we'll have you back on. So you have been listening to the Cowboy Talk podcast that can be found on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Uh, it's also shared on the North Lake FFA Facebook page every week, so you can find your links there if you don't want to go search for it. Uh, please share the podcast and give it a five-star review wherever possible so we can grow our audience. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>